You were listening to From Sobriety to Recovery with Jesse Mogul, episode number two. Let's get to the show. Welcome back to From Sobriety to Recovery. I am your host, Jesse Mogul. I am in addiction recovery, and I am reshooting episode two. This is following the pilot, which you just heard. And one of the reasons why I wanted to dive back into this topic of one day at a time versus I'm never using again is because there's so much more I've learned about this idea and this philosophy since I first shot this episode four years ago. I died on January 12th of 2017. I mean, perhaps more metaphorically than literally, although I came to in my bathtub of death, choking on my own vomit as my heart clenched, my left my left arm was throbbing, it was numb. I'm pretty sure I've back then totally thought I was having a heart attack, though I'm so blasted, I just was going about my merry way, and I was shocked into submission by my addiction in that moment. When I climbed out of that shit tub, which is what I'll call it from here on out, I was covered in my own blood, my own piss, my shit, my vomit. And I looked at myself in front of the mirror, this shell of my former self, this version of me where dreams went to die. And with only the light shadowing through the bathroom window, I could feel the Grim Reaper behind me. In this bathtub, this bathroom with this shit tub to my left and this reaper to my right, I knew right then I had to make a choice. I had to make a choice with very little energy and just my legs shaking. I got back into that shower with the ice cold water because I had passed out in it for God knows how long. I soaked myself off just enough so that I wouldn't track crap all the way to my bedroom. And I walked straight to my phone and I called Kaiser Permanente, which was who I had my health insurance with and still do, and said, it is time. I had the number ready because I knew this day was coming. It's already saved in my phone under addiction. Like it was ready to rock and roll. I, it was, it was time. And when I recall this memory, and when I tell this story, and it's much more in-depth whenever I'm on stage, and you'll hear many different you know, versions of it as far as you know, the way I frame it as we move forward in all these episodes, uh, I know deep down in my toes that I'll never use again. I, I, I felt it then. It was a decision I made that day, and it was a promise I swore I would keep to myself each and every day moving forward. And I focus on what is it I can do today because after almost dying in that tub, I realized then, I still realize, but now six years in and four years after I started this podcast, I know how special each and every day is and how I could, I, I choose to cherish all of them. There's so much about addiction recovery that has grown with inside me that I've learned so much more about it in the last four years. And you're going to get to hear this journey go as you move forward on these episodes. And it starts, and I still remember that as I made that phone call on a, um, it was like a Thursday afternoon or so very little light 
coming from any of my windows. So I do know that it was dusk. And when I made this phone call to Kaiser and said I needed some help, they basically said, well, are you ready to come in now or can you wait? And I was like, I knew I had to go to work the next day. I didn't want my job to find out. I didn't want to get fired. I'd already been called out the entire week. I told myself I would go back in that Friday. And so I worked the next three days and checked myself in and they ultimately chose outpatient program for me on that Monday. And it was gratifying. I'll tell you this, and I tell you this now at the beginning whenever I realize that a lot of you could be super vulnerable and maybe you won't take this the right way, but I'm transparent and I'm honest and you're going to hear me say it later on in the show, so I'm going to say it now. I kept alcohol and drugs in my room for the next six weeks because I wanted to make sure I was serious. And if I was going to want to use, I didn't want to put myself back out on the street detoxing and in a bad situation because I lived in Hollywood and I lived in a dangerous part of Hollywood. Uh, it's not all milk and honey there. You know, a mile away from Hollywood Boulevard, it can get, at least back then, it was pretty rough. And last I recall, it wasn't, it didn't get any better. So I kept you know, scotch and beer and wine and some, you know, painkillers in the room. Because if I was going to use, I was just, you know what, dude, you're almost died in the bathtub. And the Grim Reaper was laughing. He was getting ready to take you away. Figure this out. And so um, after six weeks, I took the alcohol and the pills I had and I gave them to my roommate and said, all you, this is, this is, this is it. This is sticking. I'm, I'm good to go here. And so I tell you that because we have this conversation today of one day at a time versus I'm never going to use again. And this can be quite contentious. And I've heard a lot of people want to have a very strong debate about this. And so I'm going to give you my opinion of this. And I'm going to talk you through how I pictured it from day one, because it's all very vivid. I've been telling these stories and doing these speeches and, you know, from month three and four on. And then I've been doing this podcast. So I've been keeping very close to all of these stories. So they're, they're very vivid for me. And I remember at the very beginning going into Kaiser, and I already knew about one day at a time. I tried AA at University of Florida before. I was not oblivious to this idea of one day at a time. And it matters a lot to me. It mattered a lot to me then. It matters a lot to me still to focus in on one day at a time. And maybe now at six years, it's not about being, you know, precariously at the edge of perhaps lapsing or relapsing as much as there's a lot of things just in your normal life you're going to wish you could figure out now that are just going to take time to figure out. Or you'll start future pacing, which is a term I use when we start to think too far into the future. We start to pace our life way off into the future, trying to solve problems that aren't even I mean, they're just made up problems in our head right now. They're not even real problems. It's something that might happen four years from now. And I did this in my addiction when I knew I should quit in my early 20s, but I thought, well, you know, one day I'm going to have a kid and they're going to turn 21 or graduate college and I'm going to want to have a glass of champagne on their 21st birthday or do a shot with them on their birthday or drink some champagne at their wedding. I was making up reasons to continue drinking for people who I hadn't even... (laughs) hadn't even been born in my life yet. And so future pacing that far out to justify continue using today or future pacing that far out when you about a you know a potential problem you might have with your mate, your partner, husband, wife, whatever you call them that might come up whenever you know 10 years from now to to be the reason why you're stressing yourself out today, it doesn't work. 
It didn't work for me. I highly doubt it works for you. So one day at a time is extremely important because that first day, I mean, I spent my first month detoxing. Those first two weeks were fucking brutal. I mean, we're talking, you know, you know, the hot and cold sweats and the vomiting and barely being able to hold down food and hell, barely being able to hold down water and coffee. It was, oh God, it was so brutal. And then when I was finally able to start holding down, you know, anything more than chicken broth and chicken noodle soup, it was just, my stomach hated me. My body hated me. My, my, my life hated me. And so moving through that first month of detox each day was like, just, just, just today, man just today, just what can you do today? Just walk up and down your stairs, you know, do something physically active. You can't just lay on your couch or lay in your bed. And so this idea of one day at a time is extremely important. It's extremely important, not only in the sobriety and recovery universe, but in life in general, because it's how we should be going through our lives to some extent. We should be focused on today. We should be present for what's happening in our lives today. Let's make today the best day that we can make it. Now, where I start to bring in this I'm never going to use again and why I think it's important that we can also frame the conversation with this ideology involved is because one day at a time is very much you're just it's like I'm focused on today and only today. And that sounded a lot like my addiction. Where it was like, can I just get high today? Can I just make enough money to continue getting high? I got rent due in three days. Okay, what can I do in the next three days to make rent and still get high and find my Coke and find my booze? And I knew what it was like to live day by day in a state of suffering and pain. Now I'm living day by day in a state of, I wouldn't say pure joy and bliss because it's not sobriety that sucks. It's just life sometimes. Not every day is, you know, peaches and cream, but certainly I'm in a way better headspace, have been in a way better headspace. We've moved through so many different stages of change and been able to process so many things on this show that those that are, you know, 200 episodes in are vastly seeing a humongous, just they've been seeing humongous shifts since day one. But I'll tell you what, you stack 200 episodes up on top of that. You're climbing up to the top of a mountain for sure. So this idea of I'm never using again becomes the energy that I put into each and every day. That there will not be something that steps into my life that says, well, this is justification. Let's use. Here it is. Your best friend died. Somebody in your family got sick. You got fired from a job. You lost all your money to crypto. The stock market crashed. Somebody in your family yelled at you and didn't forgive you for something that you did nine years ago, even though you've made your amends 77 times. Like I, We have a brain that can justify any behavior we want it to justify for us. My therapist calls it mental gymnastics. We can mental gymnastics our way to any solution if what we want that solution to be matters that much to us. And if you're on the fence about your sobriety and recovery and you're still like, yeah, I don't know if I want to be here and this is court ordered or my, my partner's forcing me into it or my kids are looking at me sideways or my boss is starting to, to question my reliability. Like, okay, I get it. There could be some outside forces going on in your life. That is not, I'm not oblivious to that. I had outside forces in my life too. Even though I had alienated almost everybody who loved me and stopped answering the phone for months, I still had outside forces. But ultimately, you have to be willing to do this for yourself. 
You have to be willing and want to do it for yourself. Because if you're doing it for somebody else, and then they, they look at you cross-eyed one day, and you're like, well, you're not even paying attention to how hard I'm working to be sober, so screw you. I'm just going to go back out and use. Then you just deleted the, all of those sober days that you had, right? You learned a lot. I mean, by no means do you go back to day one without all the knowledge of all of those sober days in, under your belt. But you were doing it for someone else, and now you're hoping that they give you what? the external reaction or response that you want each and every day in order for you to justify your continuing of not using, no one is ever going to be 100% able to meet those expectations. They're going to look at you sideways one day, and if your brain is looking for a reason to use, that's going to be enough. So you have to be willing to do this for yourself. And we know better. I know better. You know you know better. We know where it leads. If... What one is too many and a thousand never enough. Like it, 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 we passed the point of no return on this. The bell's been rung. You can't unteach Pavlov's dog what the hell the bell means. When you get angry or disappointed or sad or shameful or guilty or jealous, and next thing you know, you're plowing through bottles of booze and blacking out in strange bars because you're buying weird shit and fucking powdered bags from people. Like fuck nay, man. We know where this leads. We want to strive to dissociate ourselves from alcohol, to literally be able to see it and just be non-emotionally reactive, to not be triggered by it, to just, it's, it exists. It exists. There's a lot of things on this planet that exist that I do not give a passing thought to on any given day. Yes, at six years, I have been going to sports bars and raves and concerts and places where copious amounts of alcohol are being consumed by blacked out people. I have absolutely put myself in those situations. I know when it's time to, you know, get the hell out. I will Irish goodbye someplace. I will split if all of a sudden everybody goes from being super present to glassy eyed and and just out of their gourd. I'm done. I'm out. I'm going to go home, do something else. If I go to a bar, there better not just be drinking going on. There better be some darts. There better be something for me to be entertained by. Because sitting at a table watching people plow through brain cells is not my idea of fun anymore. And it's probably not been yours for some time. So this is why I know I'm never going to use again. From all these things I've just told you. And even at year two, when I first launched this show, by that point, I'd already gone to some dead shows, some fish shows and some raves. Like, I'm an old deadhead. I've tripped my balls off watching fish. I freaking would go through five beans and, and five hits of acid just on my way to the rave. Like, I know. I've been there with you metaphorically more than actually. I've never been to any of these places with you, but I know what it's been like. We've been to that place. We know how that story goes. That's one of the reasons why I talk a lot about playing it through to the credits. When somebody comes up and says, come on, man, just one, just one, and you're like, one day at a time, one day at a time, but that little voice inside your head starts trying to mental gymnastics you, I want you to use this one right here. I want you to say, play it through to the credits. What's that mean? Playing it through to the credits. It's like a movie. You play it all the way through to the credits, all the way to that last song. Maybe there's a hidden scene back there. And you know what your hidden scene is? Most of the people around you can have a drink or two, can have a puff or two. And and then they, they can enjoy it for what it is in that moment. Then they can go home, they can get some rest, they can get up, maybe a little hungover, but the urge to use immediately when they wake up or to have kept going when they got home isn't there. 
that counting of the days to the next binge drinking day or the counting of the hours until you get off of work and you can start plowing through. I mean, I used to keep bottles of vodka. It, it was it was vodka poured into water bottles in my car. So when I got out of work, as soon as I drove off property, I'd grab that from out from underneath my seat. And it was one of those little 12 ounce cheap plastic bottles, you know, the ones that squish up real easy. And I would plow through that before I was even home, that would be emptied. And I'd have stopped at the, at the little $2 store right around the corner from my apartment and bought like five bottles of $2 wine and one of those little $5 bottles of vodka. And I'd go home and just start plowing through cigarettes and, and just drinking straight wine. I remember racing myself to see how fast I could finish a box of wine one day. I ended up doing it in under an hour. And so I know what this is like. And I mean, I can recall this stuff in the visceral, the, the, the actual physical feeling I have of thinking about putting myself through this horror. It's there. I know I'll never use again because I don't need to go very far to touch back to what it was like to be that miserable. But each and every day I focus on doing things one day at a time. For most things in my life, it's what can I do today to take my next smallest step, my next simplest step forward toward this life I've always desired, while also having an eye on the future. And see, they can live simultaneously. This is like the moon and the sun. They can live in this beautiful, cohesive, simultaneous world. They both can exist. You can be focused on one day at a time. What can you do today while also having an eye on the future for making plans, for looking forward to anniversary dates of your sobriety, looking forward to family reunions or big life moments like marriages or or birthdays and stuff and know that you can go there and you can enjoy those things without being inebriated. And if you're just starting off your sobriety journey, yes, I know that sounds preposterous to you, but there are hundreds of thousands of us out here who are living that. Find some of us, ask us what that was like. And there's episodes coming up about going to parties sober. So I won't get into all of that right here. But there are those of us who have learned that going bowling, going roller skating, going to amusement parks and doing these things sober, it's more fun. I'm there. I'm present. I get to enjoy them 100% and fully and remember them the next day. And not every day is peaches and cream and, and sunshines and rainbows and puppy dogs. Some days just suck. It's part of the human condition. We have the good days. We have the bad days. But I know that, and I, I remember, I remember people at the very beginning telling me, sure, you're riding the pink cloud now. Everything's hunky-dory for you now. You just wait till tragedy hits your life. Like they were wishing it upon me or something. You just wait till someone you love dies or something horrible in your life goes down. You just wait. I promise you addiction will be there ready to reel you back in. First of all, if anyone says that to you, I would question whether you should take any advice, let alone <laughs> even talk to them anymore. But second of all, why? Why is that the energy to send out? Why not say, you know what, when tragedy falls and, or comes at you it, through the version of death or a firing or a loss of a really good friend, it's going to be so much better for you to experience that through the mind and the eyes and the feelings of sobriety and recovery because you'll actually get to be there and process those emotions in the now. Whereas before what we did was push them down with alcohol and drugs or food or sex or porn or gambling. No, there's not a tragedy that can hit me. I've had people die. I knew then and there that if, when people died, and I knew it would come, 
I'd already buried like 15 some odd of my favorite people on this planet by the time I got sober. I knew what it was like to go through that stuff wasted. I was not wanting anyone to die, but by all means, when it did happen, I was ready to experience it through the eyes of somebody who was sober. You will be ready to handle the things that come your way when they come your way. Do not future pace those problems into your life today. You don't need to be future pacing your problems that are going to happen down the road into today. Worry about the tomorrows when the tomorrows become the todays. You know, when when alcohol first touched my lips at 17 years old and it started what, uh, you know, I looking back at it was the path that my body and my mind were ready to go down. I had been priming myself for alcoholism for years. It already ran in my family. So that by the time it hit my lips in high school at 17 and my parents got divorced going into my summer before my freshman year in college, it was a perfect storm. No oversight from the parents. They were too busy up their own asses with the divorce. I had a car, a job at the coolest record shop in town. I know back in the day when records and CDs were a thing. And we had a Ticketmaster outlet inside of our store. So we had access to all the tickets. And next thing you know, I'm, go, I'm you know eighth row center at Pink Floyd, the three-day run of the Grateful Dead in the summer of 94 at Deer Creek, getting to go to Nine Inch Nails. And, you know, what was my first hit of, you know, my first time really feeling stoned at Pink Floyd the day after my 18th birthday, all the way to, you know, three, four weeks later, I think it was, you know, my, it was right to like, gee, who cares? It's like July 11th or something. It was my first three day run of the Grateful Dead where I took acid for the first time. And that was a wonderful experience. And, you know, a month or a month and a half later, I'm at a nine inch nail show on acid, smoking marijuana. And somebody's like, Hey, you got to try cocaine. I was like, Oh hell yeah, I do. And that was it. I mean, I joined a fraternity shortly thereafter that was against all that shit, but I didn't care because chicks came over to our house every weekend and it was like, yay, cool dudes to hang out with me, pretty girls who want to party with me. And I'm, you know, my roommate in college is, he was dealing acid. So I started dealing acid. I mean, I knew all the Coke dealers, I knew all the weed dealers. And next thing you know, I'm just dealing stuff on campus. I was like, oh my God, <laughs> it's like Mr. Popularity. And the easiest place for an addict to hide is in college because everyone's partying. Three years at Ball State, found myself being shown, you know, shown the door. Here's your hat, buddy. Get the hell out of here. You and your, you know, 0.08 average with your final semester that was all D's and an F. Or was it all F's and a D's? It was bad. Went to Orlando where I, you know, I think I think I stayed relatively sober for that first year as a wet and wild lifeguard. But then I got a job at a sports bar and my sister introduced me to the rave scene. And next thing you know, here comes ketamine and all that jazz. And, you know, just again, you, you can see where this is going. And next thing you know, ecstasy's in my life. And so now it's LSD and ecstasy and cocaine and all of this stuff. And it just, I didn't know how to stop it. I didn't know, I didn't want to know how to stop it. I was serving and bartending at the hippest places in town. I was partying all the time. I was going to community college and getting actually getting A's and B's because it was just it was just easy at that point. I'd somehow figured it out. So by the time I got into the University of Florida, left the hallucinogenics behind, it was just what I like to call my frat boy coke and marijuana habit and drinking copious amounts of alcohol. Another five years there to get what would have, what really was only supposed to be two years there, and I'm 30 years old. 
a trip over the seas for a year where I'm just getting blasted drunk and doing weird freaking drugs in Asia. And I find myself in Los Angeles. And I stayed sober for that first year, year and a half. I even quit smoking cigarettes. And one day at Second City where I was studying improv and doing some stand-up, uh, they were throwing a party and we were out on the roof and I started smoking cigarettes uh, that week. And somebody's like, I've never seen you smoke cigarettes. I'm like, yep, did it for years. They're like, well, why'd you start back up if you quit for the last you know, year or so? I'm like, because I want to start binge drinking again. That was my answer. Because I want to start binge drinking again. And I did. And damn near tanked my improv career there at Second City. I, I kept doing some stand-up, but it was half-assed at best most of the time. And you know, then my fancy-schmancy hotel job started wanting me to work in the morning. So uh, you know, I couldn't keep, uh, couldn't party during all night long and stay out till you know, doing stand-up clubs till three in the morning and then go open up a restaurant at 6 a.m. So one, one or the other had to go and making thousands upon thousands of dollars at a hotel serving and bartending or go make nothing, try to make it in the stand-up world. I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll take the five to $8,000 a month as a waiter in Los Angeles so I can keep partying my ass off and screw the stand-up career. I found myself sports writing. I did a morning talk show for a little while. Did red carpet interviews. I did a lot. Did a lot of cool stuff. Did a lot of really cool stuff. But I mean, I remember being on the red carpet, blacked out, just completely trashed off vodka. Completely trashed. The only thing that was even keeping me slightly coherent was key bumps in the bathroom in between interviews. I'd go back and watch that footage, and people would be like, "Man, that was amazing. Look how lively and friendly you are." And I'm like, "I have no idea how I'm pulling this off." And slowly but surely, the the it, this all started to fall away, right? The sports website went down, and next thing you know, I'm not even looking for another job there. And then the morning talk show wasn't leading to what I wanted it to, and the red carpet interviews got boring. And you know, it, it, honest to God, I know it's, it might sound whack to hear, but it's like you live in LA long enough, eventually celebrities just become other people, and it's all rather annoying because it takes four hours to drive three miles. So at some point, it just LA stopped being what I wanted it to be. I was no longer really there for what I thought I was going to be there for. And my drive to do those things had gone away. And I believed that alcohol took them from me. So when I woke up in the shit tub, that was it. And I called Kaiser and I started going through detox and making my way into sobriety. And next thing you know, I'm launching podcasts and I'm writing again. And, you know, my YouTube series is starting to take off. And all these things, all these things that I willingly let addiction take from me started to come back because I had free time and I, and I was feeling clear-minded and I was going to the gym and I was eating healthy and I was doing everything that they told me to do at Kaiser. And I was, you know, taking their version of the steps and I was coming to all of their meetings and in therapy. And I was like, okay, what did addiction take from me? What can I now have back? And I, again, going through all that story, episode two, and you, I mean, I've got 200 of these under my belt. So some of these stories I've told so many times, you're going to hear them again. But why I'm telling this to you now, one, I want you to understand the journey that I took in order to get here. This isn't going to be a show where I'm constantly talking about that stuff. Once you've heard it, you're going to remember it. It doesn't constantly need to be, oh, well, let me tell you this one time where I blacked out in Indonesia and woke up in Singapore. Like, yeah, I got it, that kind of story, but it doesn't need to be talked about every day, but it matters in the scope of this episode because we'll hear people who want to cling tight to this, I'm an addict, I'm an addict, I have to remind myself I'm an addict, and again, you do you. 
But the reason why that can be harmful is that I am as an identity level statement. I am a loser. I'm not worthy of love. I'm a piece of shit. We've heard that in our own minds or from other people's mouths plenty of times. And then it becomes how we identify ourselves inside of our head and when we look in the mirror. So for me to say I am an addict, it's like I don't need to be reminded of what I was for 22 years. I remember. I remember. When I go to those meetings, yes, I have said it because that's just the status quo. I have not said it and been and it's been embraced. I have not said it and heard crickets in the room. Like I've I've actually said it. I am in addiction recovery, and you know how normally the whole room goes, "Hi, Jesse," and it was like maybe ten percent of the room. I literally pattern interrupted them so hard they did not know what to expect. So now I'm like, you know what? When in Rome. I know you're going to hear me say it differently as we go on because some of these episodes were shot four years ago, but I'm to the point now where I'm like, when in Rome, you know, I will say I have alcoholism and that I've found is more embraced. And sometimes I'm just like, I'm an addict because you know what? Saying it one time doesn't make it be true. I don't, I'm not saying it every day. Again, I'm just tapping you into how my brain is now realizing how things get programmed into us. At a young age, if you told, were told you were a piece of shit and that got repeated by, by other people in front of you, toward you so many times that you started to repeat it to yourself in your head, eventually you just believed it to be absolutely true and factual. And you've already been telling yourself that you're an addict for all these years. So you went in Rome, went at those meetings, you do you. I'm, again, you do it all the time. Don't stop listening to the show because I'm talking about this right now, but listen more in depth about how you can start to talk to yourself in a different way when you're outside of those rooms. That you are, you have alcoholism, you are in addiction recovery, you are in sobriety, you are working on yourself. Today is the day to start making the change. Do something positive for yourself today. Just because you got sober doesn't mean all your problems go away. There are solution opportunities all over the place, and that's how we frame them on this show. Instead of focusing so much on the problem, let's instead think of the solution opportunity. The alcohol and the drugs, they exacerbated a problem. It didn't make the problem. You're going to have a flat tire. You're going to get an argument at work. You're going to eat too much sugar. You're not going to look in the mirror and like the way you look. This is going to happen whether you are sober or intoxicated. But your ability to handle these situations in life is going to greatly increase when you're doing it through the eyes of a sober person. It's the choice you make on how to feel about these flat tires and these arguments that you are in control of. It's like, the, it's like the, the distance between the stimulus and the response. It's like if, if somebody walks up and slaps your face, that's the stimulus. You have a choice that, that amount of time. It could be the blink of an eye to then respond. Think about Chris Rock when he got bitch slapped by Will Smith. You know how many different ways Chris Rock could have, have responded to that. He got slapped. That is one hell of a stimulus on worldwide television. And his response was, oh, wow. Something to that effect, right? Like he just laughed. Like he was just, yeah, shocked. But man, other people might have just started straight up turning that into a brawl. I mean, I could not even comprehend how calm and grounded he was in that moment to have his response be like, oh, wow. And like a laugh. And then he kept talking and gave the freaking award. The distance between the stimulus and the response for him was remarkable, what he was able to accomplish inside of himself to calm himself down. 
That's what we're going to be talking about on this show. How do you go from the cue, from the trigger, from the anchor that just got set off to your response? Because it's in that distance between the stimulus and the response where you decide to use or not to use. So let's go over before we get out of this show on some keys that you can be thinking about over through, as you start to really wrap your mind around this one day at a time, this I will never use again. Again, they, they dance in harmony. You'll, one day at a time. Think about one day at a time. If you start to think too far into the future and that starts to freak you out, bring it back to one day at a time. But if you start finding that you haven't made plans for things that are coming up, then that's when you can start putting an eye a little bit further down the road on the future. I will never use again. So what can I plan around this idea that I'll never be using again? And each and every day, taking it one day at a time to make sure that you are working your way there. And one day you'll have a month and three and six and nine and 12. And you'll look back and you'll be like, oh my goodness, I'm celebrating one year. And I know right now, maybe one day is hard. Seven days, Chip, is, is you know a few days away. Or 30 days seems remarkably far away. I know all of those things. So that's why I want you focusing on what you need to be focused on right now to move yourself forward today. These are conversations that we're having so that we can start to really grow your mindset around this. So let's talk about three keys. First key, what is your motivations for sobriety and recovery? What kind of energy are you using? Why did you choose to stop using? What push got you into this? Is this for you? If that's what you want it to be. You got to find something inside of you that says, this is for me. This matters to me. Because if it's for somebody else and they look at you sideways and it doesn't go very well, you're going to be able to find a way to justify going back to using. It's an internal energy and drive that makes this your new life. you fighting through the cravings. And, oh, Here's the thing on cravings. If you're taking notes yet, if not, grab a pen and a pad. There are no weak people. There are strong anchors. We will talk about this in depth in the show, but something cues you off. It's the habit loop. Something happens that cues you off, that gets you craving for the booze. Then your response is to drink the booze. Then you get the reward. And if that was muting of your emotions or or feeling more relaxed, whatever it was, you get that response. It's the habit loop. There's a whole book about it called Atomic Habits. Go read that. Charles Duhigg. I've got tons of episodes on it. If you don't want to go read it, don't worry. We're going to cover it in depth on the show. Right, But there are no weak people. There are strong anchors. And an anchor is something in your life that sets off the cue, that triggers you. Somebody yells at you. You have an anchor of somebody yelling at you in the past. It made you sad. You don't want to feel sad. You started using to not feel sad. And here it is. Someone today is yelling at you. It sets off that anchor that you set years ago that if somebody yells at you, you're going to feel sad. And you don't want to feel sad. And to not feel sad, you use. There are no weak people. There are only strong anchors. It's like an alarm clock. It goes off. You either get up or you hit snooze. That's your cue. The anchor is that is the sound of that alarm clock. What do you do? Do you get up out of bed and seize the day or do you hit snooze for the next two hours and get shitty sleep when you should have just set the alarm for two hours later? What's your motivation for sobriety and recovery? What energy are you using? Find the internal energy. Find the drive within you that makes this for you. No one can make you do this. Lots of this journey is going to be you on your own. It's like Michael Phelps swimming in that pool when there was no crowd cheering him on. He could have cut some corners. He could have slacked off a little bit. And then that one race he won by a thousandth of a second, maybe he loses it by a thousandth of a second. A lot of this journey is done on your own with nobody else cheering you on. 
But it's like when I go to the gym and I pump up and I work really hard, and then I go out there and people are like, man, you're looking really healthy right now. It's like, wow, that's hours and hours of working in, you know, off here where nobody can see me to come out here, get on this stage and, and, and have people say, wow, we really see a change in you. Congratulations. That's waiting for you. So find that internal motivation and make this for you. Key number two is what is your mindset of recovery and this sobriety journey you're going on? Mindset's huge. And we talk about, or at least I talk about a lot in this podcast about a book I read called Mindset by Carol Dweck. Highly recommend it. Love the book. Love, 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 love the book. I mean, of all the books I read at the beginning stages of my sobriety and recovery, Mindset by Carol Dweck was hands down the most inspirational and motivational of all the books, right? And this mindset, is it, is it growth? Do you feel like you can make these changes in your life? Or are you fixed? You are just who you are, and, and who you are is who you'll always be. Because that's a limiting belief. That is literally a limitation you're placing upon yourself. You can change. Everyone can change. Everyone does change. And the people who say that people don't change are the ones who just aren't actively seeking awareness of their own changes in their own life because they're changing. And yes, values, morals, ethics, things that you adhere to very strongly, some of those things might not change greatly, but they're changing. And if you show up late to a luncheon and someone's like, see, you've been sober for three months and you're still the same old person showing up late, you might just have a different understanding of time. Or you might have been dicking around at home instead of getting in your car early. And that's sort of things that we'll cover later. But most importantly, it's like, don't let their judgment statement in that moment dictate what you see within yourself. It's a choice to use. So it's like the one day at a time. Today, my choice is I am not drinking. It's also a choice to be able to understand that I'll, I won't be using again. It's done. That version of me has been put to bed. Jesse 1.0 died in that bathtub. Out of it sprung Jesse 2.0. At this point, I really feel like I'm at Jesse 3.0, and I would love to be able to say I've upgraded to 4.0, but I got a lot of stuff I still need to be working on, so we're at 3.0. But 1.0, like like my like one of the tribal members, Tim, said in the Voxer thread that we all have for those who want to join it, he's like, you know, 1.0 died in jail. I was like, yeah, I concur. 1.0 died in that bathtub. I will never use again because I know where it leads. I break out in handcuffs, and I definitely, my life falls apart. I cannot do it anymore. I don't want to try to fight this monster. He's untamable. So is your mindset that you can you can do this. If it's not, start finding people around you who talk it positively and who, will, who are showing you through their own behaviors how it is possible. You can say one day at a time and never use again in the same sentence. When, when I, I will never use again because I choose to focus on each day as the amazing experience it is. There you go. There's your sentence. I will never use again because I choose to focus on each day as an amazing experience it is, one day at a time. Live, living the life I didn't want, here's the thing. When I, when I hear people say, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't, what I hear them saying is, <laughs> I hear them saying, I can't, but I hear them fighting for a life that they've already told me they're sick and tired of. Can't is a fixed mindset. I Yes, if you tell Jesse, go over there and pick up that car, 
well, you, you didn't say I couldn't use a tow truck to pick up the car. So if I only see the idea of picking up the car, meaning I go up there and literally pick it up with my hands, then yes, that is not possible. I cannot pick up a 3,000-pound car with my hands. But if I start to see outside of the box, I realize there's a lot of ways I could lift that car up that do not require my own forceful, brutish strength. And I'm being six foot three and 185 pounds, there's not a whole lot of brutish strength there. Right? So when I hear people say I can't, what I'm hearing is you're fighting for a life you've already told me you're sick and tired of. You can go out, you can have fun, you just don't have to be wasted to enjoy these things. Like when I quit sugar during the beginning stages of my uh, of my sobriety, it's because I knew that oftentimes people turn to sugar to help them with the cravings of the alcohol. I went weeks without adding sugar or eating anything with added sugar in it, and I was floored by how much my taste buds changed and how much better my body felt. Right? Yes. I would not recommend going to the clubs and going to the bars and going to your usual places and probably not even seeing your usual party friends right out the gate because you are in the process of transitioning. And there's a lot of change and a lot of growth in you that is ready to start to sprout out of the ground and reach towards the sun. And you start going back to those same old environments where you were living in the shadows and it's going to be hard for you to grow in the shade. Today is my choice to be in sobriety and recovery and I will never use again. And I'm careful about using an absolute like never, but I am not above this. I am a human. I will say things like never. I will say things like always. I will always be able to remember what that shit tub was like. I have told that story hundreds upon hundreds of times. It's why I start my speeches with it because it keeps me close to that memory. It doesn't make me sad anymore. It empowers me because that was the day that everything changed. It's not a challenge to myself to go back and retell these stories when I find them beneficial for the audience or me. It's actually empowering. And that goes to my key number three. So key number one was, uh, what are you doing it for? What's your motivation? Key number two is what's your mindset, growth or fixed, right? Believing that you can and, and releasing the word I can't. And number three is what's your plan? This is why the 12 steps work so well. This is why the four truths of, sobri- of, of, of refuge recovery and dharma recovery work and why smart recovery has their own. Everybody's got a program. You go into a treatment center. They have a program. They, they want you to have your day scheduled out. Idle hands are the devil's tool kind of mentality. There is a reason why they do this. You want to have a plan. You want to have things you're doing during your day. I am working towards something in my life. This provides me fulfillment. When I first moved to Hollywood, like I'd already told you, I was at the stand-up and the improv and all of this stuff, and addiction took it all away. Now, if I'd have gotten sober and just come home from my hotel job and you know, sat on the couch in my underwear, eating donuts, watching The Simpsons, and I'll say that one a lot, <laughs> eating, coming home, sitting on the couch in my underwear, eating donuts, watching The Simpsons, my life would not have gotten better. I would not have felt fulfilled because nothing would have changed. Get up, go to work, come home, that's it. Sit on the couch for eight hours until it's time to go to bed to do it all over the next day. No, I had to bring back the things that addiction took away from me. If you're doing the same stuff you always did and expecting different results, I mean, that's not really what Einstein said, and that's not really the definition of insanity, but enough of people have said it that we pretty much think it's true in our society. So go ahead and run with it. If you're doing the same things you've always did, expecting a different result, that's insane. 
You're going to have to change some parts of your social circle, the family members you hang out, the loved ones you spend time with. And it may not be easy to cut some of these people out. No one ever said it was going to be easy to cut off some people who are no longer serving you in your life. But you have to look in the mirror and ask yourself, am I going to be worried about their emotions because I can't spend time with them anymore? Because when I did, I used or I argued or I got in fights. I have to do something different for myself. And you prove it through your actions, not your words. It's like what I talked about in in the pilot. You want to know how you love someone by earning their trust. Your, your actions will help you earn trust with yourself, and then here comes the love with it. So when you say you're going to do something, you do it. If you say you're going to start going to the gym as part of your sobriety and recovery, then do it. If you, if you, but here's the thing. Don't shoot yourself out of a cannon and be like, okay, great. I'm going to go to the gym five days a week, and I'm going to cut out sugar, and I'm going to only eat broccoli and chicken, and I'm going to cut out all of these friends, and I'm going to walk 10,000 steps a day, and I'm going to journal for two hours a day, and I'm going to meditate for three hours a day. That's a whole lot of stuff you've put on your plate. If one of those things start to fall to the wayside and you've attached them together, then the whole house of cards comes crumbling down. You're going to feel shame or guilt or remorse or like a loser. Just let's use the easiest word here. You're going to feel like a loser because you made all these commitments to yourself. The issue was you made them too big to make them winnable. Start with, I'm going to walk an extra 300 steps today. Start with, I'm going to go to the gym today for 30 minutes and just do some machines. It's like if I miss the gym for a couple weeks because life gets in the way and I just say, okay, I've got to let the gym go while I'm traveling or whatever I'm doing, right? No excuses here, just saying. Sometimes life happens and I don't get to go to the gym for a couple weeks. That first day back, I'm not just sitting here trying to pump the same numbers I was pumping before. I go in there and I do a full body workout, a couple a couple exercises for each muscle group. Get my steps on, right? You know, go and do some abs and I make it a nice little full body workout. And that's my first week. I get my body primed. And then I start to get back into my normal flow of it. So at the beginning, don't try to pile so many new changes on. Do them slowly so that you can begin to create habits around them. Go to the gym for 30 minutes. If you haven't gone to the gym in forever, then just go for 30 minutes because 30 minutes is better than no minutes. Hell, just do burpees for a minute. Do push-ups for a minute. Jumping jacks for a minute. Journal for a minute. Meditate for a minute. Uh, Go up to somebody you love in your family and hug them and tell them how special it is that, that they're in your life for a minute. You're trying to set up hot air balloon rides over the Eiffel Tower with rose petals falling from the clouds. Like, do things small. It's those small, simple steps that get you towards the major life changes. That take those minutes you're putting toward that seriously. And we'll be talking about how I framed my sobriety and recovery in future and, and here in a couple episodes around career, self, relationships, and physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual. And it's, it was super helpful for me. So each and every day I knew that I was working my, my, my steps. I was working my recovery program. Take it seriously. This is for you. Have a plan. Don't let some other people pull you back to who you used to be by reminding you who you used to be. Who you are today versus who you were last year versus who you're going to be in a year, the shifts are going to be monumental. And it starts with one day at a time. One day at a time. What can I do today physically? What can I do today emotionally? What can I do today for myself mentally? What can I do for myself today spiritually that can move my sobriety and recovery forward? 
and when we talk about spirituality on this show, it isn't religious-based as much as it's morals, ethics, values, opinions, beliefs, principles. Those things are taught by religion. Religion in itself is spiritual, but spirituality is not religious. It's like, you know, a a Ford truck is is a truck, but not not all trucks are Fords. All religion is spiritual, but not all spiritual not all spiritual things are religious. On this show, we frame spirituality as morals, ethics, values, opinions, beliefs, and principles. A whole ton of episodes are coming up about that. Just we're gonna get out of here on this. Like I told you, I said at the beginning, I was gonna do these things for a half an hour. That didn't matriculate over time, so screw it. This stuff matters. I want you to hear it now at the beginning stages. It comes down to choice. Melissa, my therapist, taught me my triumvirate of my sobriety and recovery journey is integrity, humility, and gratitude. Integrity, humility, and gratitude. I have integrity. I'm doing what is right for myself, for my loved ones, for the world in general, even when nobody's watching. There will not always be people watching you. Hell, I was sneaking booze and drugs into my system right in front of my family members and my loved ones. It was not hard to do. So this has to be for me because I know I can get away from it. Get, I know I can get away with it in front of them. Humility, be humbled. Sometimes life will humble you. It will. And it's in those moments where I make a little error or you know I don't do something the way that somebody else asked me to. It's in those moments I say, and grab out a pen and a pad, write this on one page. Life is humbling. I will now be more present. Life will humble you. You'll make silly little errors. You'll leave your front door unlocked or you'll leave your window open during the rain. I mean, things just happen. There's so many millions of bits of information coming at you every single second of your life. Things are going to slip through the cracks. You're not going to always be aware. When I don't put a shelf together right or I think I hang a picture correctly and it falls off the wall, I don't use that as a reason to go and use because I just broke my favorite picture. I just chuckle and say, life is humbling. I will be more present. And then I go and I make sure the next nail is put into the stud. And then gratitude. I am grateful. I am grateful for the journey I've had that got me here. Yes, there are absolutely parts of me that wish I'd done it differently at Ball State, but I did what I did. Marty McFly and Doc Brown and Einstein are coming through my front yard with a DeLorean anytime soon. I did what I did. And even if I could go back and make some change, I'd probably, I don't know, screw up the space-time continuum and completely fold the universe in on itself because if I don't drink all those drinks at Ball State, there's a lot of people's lives that were affected by that. So I can just be grateful that I'm alive today to make a different decision. I can be grateful for those who stuck by me. I can be grateful for those who have chosen not to include me back in their lives because you know what? It was a lesson to be learned. Integrity is doing what is right even though no one is watching. Humility is understanding that life will humble me and I can be more present. And gratitude is just being gracious, understanding, right? I actually have a whole episode about grateful uh, grateful versus thankful, right? I'm thankful that somebody brought me a Coke, but I'm, I have gratitude that the company made the Coke. It's like thankful is an action somebody can do for you right then. Gratitude is like the energy you have overall that the person even wanted to do it for you to begin with. 
right? It's like, thank you for bringing the Coke. I am grateful that you love me so much that you would bring me this. Like it's, there's a difference in that gratitude is like all encompassing how I feel about my sobriety and recovery. I am grateful that I am here. I am thankful that today worked out so well that I can chuck off another one on my day and move forward. Here comes six years right around the corner. It's pretty remarkable. And I was in your spot six years ago. I was at day two or I was at week two or month two. I know what this is like and this show will help you get there. You are making choices each and every day. Something is going to inspire you. I I hope that I can be an inspiration for you, but motivation is internal. Inspiration is external. Motivation is internal. What are you going to do today to motivate yourself to keep moving forward? Use that positive energy. Go toward who you want to be. Who you were is behind you. You are already moving away from that. Use positive energy to move toward. Instead of saying, I don't want to be a drunk loser anymore, say, I want to be a sober, awesome person. Instead of, I go to work to not live in a van down by a river, I go to work to be financially stable. Instead of like, I am going to give you this soda pop so you don't hate me, I'm gonna, I will say instead, I'm going to give you this soda pop so that you realize how much you matter to me. There's a difference in the energies. Away energy is trying to get away from what you don't want to be. Toward energy is moving toward who you want to be. There's a difference. I'm getting so I'm getting sober so my wife or my husband will get off my ass as an away energy. I'm getting sober so that my wife or my husband can fully understand how committed I am to my life. Thus, I am also committed to them and our children. That is a toward energy. There is a huge difference because toward energy is inspired by what you desire for your life to become, not what you hope your life doesn't become or what it has already been. Don't look back at life and think about what the what ifs. Look at life and say, man, I am not thrilled about what the hell I did back then, but I am super glad that I have lived that experience in order to be here today to share these breaths with these people that are around me. I know my therapist would say, Jesse, you may not be meeting people where they're at, but in this episode, I want to inspire and encourage you to understand that the pink cloud is real and you can be riding it for years. It is an energy you choose to take on in your life. One day at a time, I I move forward with never drinking again. There is no failure. There is no failure in this. There's only feedback. If you're worried about a lapse or a relapse or any of that stuff, you focus on today. There is a... Unbreakable Katie Schmidt, I think was the name of the show on Netflix. And one line she had in there was, you can do anything for 10 seconds. You can. You can do anything for 10 seconds. If doing jumping jacks for 10 seconds, if having an emotionally uh, tough conversation for 10 seconds, if reading a book you've been dying to read for 10 seconds, if uh, writing down a list of your core values and what you want to focus on for 10 seconds, because you do it for 10 seconds and it will lead right into the next 10 and the next 10. And before you know it, you've been doing it for a minute. And then it's been five minutes and 10 minutes. And now you're in it and you're loving it. But you don't have a chance to get that momentum until you do it for the next 10 seconds. I love you all. I care so much about what's happening with your sobriety and recovery. I have seen what happens when people go backwards, and I want you all to continue forwards. It is your journey. It is internally motivated. Figure out your mindset and come up with a plan. 
I got another 190 some odd episodes coming up, if not more by the time you get to this, but 200 is right around the corner. And there is a lot of very useful information that will help you start to formulate a plan. You matter. You have worth. Earn the trust and the love back with yourself first and foremost. The rest of them will come around in time. All right, my friends. As always, inclusivity over exclusivity, the power of positive energy, release and flow. Every day is the best day of my life because I wake up sober and it can be that for you too. Shout out to sunshine and glow on. We'll see you next week, my friends. Bye-bye. 